All right. Well, welcome to the Cafe Stop. Thank you so much, uh, Sam, for joining us today. Um, Sam Boardman is the Wild Boar Crit winner, Tour de Merida Crit or Circuit Race winner, top 10 finisher uh, at the American National Time Trials, second overall at the Tour of Poyang Lake, and Joe Martin and Redline Stage winner. Quite the resume. <laughs> um, but yeah, thank you so much Sam, for taking the time and for, for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Um, and you can find Sam on Instagram, of course, at uh, Boardmanito. Um, he has some great content on there as well. So uh, we'll get into that in a second. But um, <laughs> first, I think you're you're fresh off um, a free junior day camp. Is that right? That's correct. Um, so Legion uh, of Los Angeles, um, the team for which I ride, if people are not familiar with that, it's a great program. You should check them out. Of course. Um, part of what I wanted to do this year um, was try and incorporate a little bit of my background in education into the greater mission of the team, which is to try and um, not only democratize the accessibility of the sport to younger generation, but also just try and make cycling cool. Um, yeah. I hate. I was about to say make cycling cool again, but the, the <laughs> phrase of that is just you can't say it's, it anymore. It's gonna be ruined. Yeah, it's pretty ruined. Um, <laughs> But truly, we want to reinvigorate um, a, an interest in American cycling, which, you know, back in its heyday in America and North America in the 80s and 90s, I mean, it was a mainstream sport. And we want to try and do the same yeah. thing now. And part of that is just finding the younger generation and making them think cycling is cool, trying to incorporate modern mainstream culture into cycling so that it, it doesn't feel exclusive. It's not hoity-toity. We want to make sure that kids think bike riding is awesome. Um, and part of that mission was trying to find ways to meaningfully and, um, you know, intimately in, interact with the younger generation beyond just being at a race, saying hi, giving a high five. We want to give these kids access to, you know, athletes in the sport. So, with the help of, you know, our wonderful partners that the team works with, our bike sponsor, sponsors, clothing sponsors, um, all of them, and uh, team management, I've helped organize um, some junior day camps that have been completely free for local uh, residents in areas in which we race. So this past year, we did one in Laverne, California, uh, right before San uh, Dimas stage race. So that nice. was just a way to get kids excited. Maybe they were racing that weekend or maybe they were on the edge of wanting to race. We just wanted to give them some pointers. The next one was in my hometown in Washington, DC, uh, right before the armed forces classic. And then, like I said, our last one was this past weekend in, uh, Morgan Hill, California, which is home to, uh, specialized bicycles, one of our largest, uh, partners. So we thought it would just be a great way to cap off the year. Um, and not only activate with, one of our biggest uh, contributors to our program, Specialized Bicycles, but, um, you know, give people a chance who live up in NorCal to get to ride with us. And we want to get to ride with them because, again, as a California-based team, we want to cover all our bases. I mean, within the team right now, there's a big feud of NorCal versus SoCal with Tyler Williams <laughs> and Justin Corey hailing from L.A. So we want to keep For that sure. going. and ferment the the rivalry right there yeah yeah no that's awesome some healthy competition for sure yeah yeah no that that's that's so great and something that's so needed i think uh, like you alluded to something that um has not been happening in the sport particularly in in the u.s and in canada north america here 
Um, so that's awesome. Just an amazing mission. I was blown away to check it out and see it's completely free, which is, um, you know, like accessibility to the sport is, is so important to getting people into it. Right. So mm-hmm. that's awesome. Good for you guys. Amazing mission. Thank you. And, yeah. Yeah. and I think everything you're just saying there totally, uh, lines up with we, what we're trying to do with the show too, and our mission of, of bringing people together, um, uh, making things more accessible and having, you know, people on to tell their stories and, um, you know, inspire more people to get into it. So, um, yeah, that's awesome. I was thinking of, of everything you said about teaching as well and how that must overlap a bit with, with your mission with Legion and stuff. That's, that's really interesting. Yeah. I, I mean, I firmly believe in my limited exposure to a lot of sports. I don't know if you can tell by looking at me, I'm not a football player. I'm not a <laughs> basketball player. I don't really do the ball sports. Um, but I, I feel like my experience in cycling has taught me nothing, if not that it is just an educational sport inherently. I think that the opportunity that riding and racing your bike provides is just wonderfully informative of the places you race and the people you meet therein and the people you meet in the races. I mean, we go to places all around the country with our domestic calendar, but I've also had the privilege to be able to be part of teams and programs that have allowed me to race abroad and internationally. And I just think, you know, people go on biking trips to learn about places. And I had the privilege to be able to do that in racing. And I still felt like I was getting the same experience of racing through countries and looking at the landscape, talking to locals at starts and finish lines. And I think inherently cycling is just, it is, it it is education. I think that riding a bike allows you um, an opportunity to learn. And I think people have, whether they know it or not, they have an experience with that from a very young age, whenever you discover the bike, because in my mind, there are several steps that you take towards education via the bicycle, which are you know, uh, freedom, uh, independence, and then education. And that ultimately leads to empowerment. But your freedom is, is when you're given the chance when your parents you know, say, all right, go ride around. You know, go ride around the neighborhood and you progressively that radius in which you can stray from, you know, your driveway or the front of your house gets progressively bigger and bigger. And that freedom ultimately leads to independence, where eventually your parents aren't going to be able to see you as you round the corner and they're (laughs) going to just have to trust you. So uh, you grow in that way. And then eventually it leads to education because, you you know, to be independent, you got to learn. You got to learn what street you're on. You got to learn where you are. And you got you. Inherently, I think, and this has been my experience, you know, tooling around on my BMX bikes back home in D.C. on the city is I wanted to learn more about the place I lived. And the bike afforded me the opportunity to go and explore, check out the streets, check out the buildings, the historical neighborhoods and all of that. And I wanted to try this year, especially with the junior day camps to incorporate that educational aspect of cycling, because I think it is a big part of it. I mean, racing is awesome in and of itself. I think that anyone can have a really wonderfully profound and impactful experience with cycling if they just go out and race. But I think you can get so much more out of it if you take time to interact with the communities in which you race. And I think that is one of the biggest goals of Legion. And that's why you know, I wanted to try and pioneer these junior day camps because I think that is what makes meaningful uh, fan bases, for example. I mean, that's what makes sports cool is when you can have a connection to the sport in which you follow. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, like, that's why 
you're doing all the great things that you're doing. Like I said, a second ago, that's why we're here, right? So, no, mm-hmm. this is um, that's such a such a cool perspective. Um, and like you know, Mike and I were big fans of like Gus Morton and, and thereabouts, right? Yeah. And, um, mm-hmm. You know, we love how he's saying like he he flipped his perspective on the bike and it made a world of difference to him, right? So, you know, I, I don't think there's anything quite as unique as cycling that can. Um, be such a connection to the world on so many levels right but Mm -hmm. at the same time you can also use it to stay healthy and for mental and physical well-being so um such a such an awesome tool um Mm -hmm. even like when we were were chatting with phil guyman and mike he was he was talking about his youtube channel and saying one of his first ideas was like he just wanted a a cycling channel uh, to show people the world (laughs) Mm -hmm. um you know it reminded kind of like anthony bourdain of like cycling Well, it, it's just that cycling is, again, unique and beautiful in the way. And this is, it's not a unique thought that I've had. I, I wish I had come up with this one, but it's, it's almost trite at this point. But our stadium, so to speak, are the roads on which everyone else rides. I mean, mm-hmm. at any given point, for example, if you, if you live in California, if you live in France, if you live in Spain, I mean, you can ride the same roads that all of the other highest level professionals race on and train on. You don't need a VIP access to get into, you know, the Chargers stadium or get into the Chicago Cubs stadium or whatever your team is, you know, where the access to the stadium is like a pay forward experience. Everyone can go out and have a cool experience reminiscing about the sport and connecting with the sport in a truly like literally physical way by going out and riding. And I mean, I remember when I was living in Belgium and I, I was in Flanders and I'm out there riding parts of tour of Flanders course. And you're riding the famous cobbled bergs. You're looking on the ground and you're seeing all of the names of previous winners, Cancellara, Bonin, yeah. uh, stenciled onto the pavement. And as a cycling aficionado myself, not just a participant in the sport, but an active fan of the sport, I was nerding out. It was super cool for me. And I think it's just really cool. Anytime you get to experience something that you see on TV in real life. And that is open to anyone who just has a bike and wants to go ride in those same places. So I think that is something that I find beautiful about cycling. And I think it makes it ripe for, you know, meaningful interaction in that regard. And like, like you said, Phil just wants to show people the world And in that sense, it's really easy to in cycling because the world of cycling is everyone else's world. I mean, they're the same roads that you might drive on to work or something like that, whether you know it or not. Yeah. No, it's so true. It's literally everyone else's world. It's like all of the culture and all the people. That's really cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 I think it's something, like you said, like I didn't even think of that point. Like we, in, in maybe in North America, we grow up with, you know, kind of something else ingrained in us uh and in terms of sport and cycling is a bit more uh marginalized but Mm -hmm. um you know we kind of think of those arena type sports first right and um Mm -hmm. you know maybe why criteriums have been so popular because it's kind of more of that uh style right but Mm -hmm. um i don't know mike like how is it like growing up in in the uk Oh, it's, it's exactly yeah. the same. Like you can't just show up at, at a yeah. football stadium. I'm not just going to go and see Cristiano Ronaldo like running down the street and <laughs> training. Um, wildly different here. I mean, even just like uh, 
not like the God phenomenon, but like you, you go out riding and we were lucky enough to be in Gatineau Park and have like Mike Woods yeah. out there training and you'd see him every so often in the park, not for long, because <laughs> much faster than me. Um, but just, yeah, being in the same roads in the same places where those people that you look up to and you see on the TV the next week of training is, is, is something to look out for and to have Strava as well and have those numbers and, and even the comparison, although you're never going to get close <laughs> to them, um, at least most of us, uh, um, it's nice to have and kind of see and, and share. There is that kind of sharing there that you could never get in other young yeah. sports. Yeah. And it's interesting. The proximity to your favorite athletes and cycling stretches along so many forms now with technology, Strava, Zwift, you know, just, you know, bumping into them on a local group ride. I mean, truly, it's actually, it's not that hard to find access in a way to connect in some way to a professional athlete. I mean, maybe they won't respond to your Zwift message because they're, you know, just out there <laughs> pooping walks on the trainer because they're just like, trying to get it, get the work in. But I mean, truly, there, there are just a lot of ways in, in the cycling world to be able to connect with athletes that you just don't find in other sports. I don't know if there's a Zwift equivalent of basketball. If there was, I would love to be able to see it. Um, but I, I think that's what, that's what makes cycling very cool. Yeah. Yeah. And it, we definitely have that ability to, um, be the only sport that can have that sort of connection and intimacy, um, mm. in terms of how close you are with, with the athletes. Um, I think, you know, that's a message we need to continue to spread to it and instill that passion in people coming up and riding. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah and um on on that note of exploring your new surroundings you're saying you've been in whitefish uh montana mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. for about the last year is that right yep last yeah, last yeah. year year and a half yeah um and you know also in, in chatting you turned us on to uh you know the fleur bake shop um which yeah. seems like uh, an awesome little spot um with some mm -hmm. great coffee great people um yeah so uh just want to give them a quick shout out you can find them at fleur bake shop on instagram and fleurbakeshop.com um, and i will i will give a recommendation if you can first off their um their loaves uh are delicious they're amazing and then nice. also my favorite pastry from there is their cannelays it took me forever to learn how to pronounce that <laughs> but they're cannelays they're not cannolis they're not canals they're cannelays um and they're these delicious uh kind of like browned cream puffs that oh, wow. look like uh little cups like nice. little round cups they're they're nice. delicious so if ever you're in town you should grab those yeah absolutely mike and i are going to take a trip down and maybe uh maybe meet you there <laughs> yeah. um no awesome um one of the things I want to get to, to uh, you know, some hard hitting journalism here. Um, <laughs> I think something everybody wants to know. So what is it like to have the best hair in the Peloton? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I didn't know I was in the running for best hair. I think <laughs> I would think I'm in competition with like a clever Martinez because he I mean, his hair is spectacular. It's far curlier <laughs> than mine. A little yeah. more voluminous. Um <laughs> But I mean, shoot, every time I think about wanting to cut it, all of y'all give me biggest ego boost telling me that <laughs> so I, don't, I don't want to anymore. I will tell you what, what it is like is it gets rather toasty uh, yeah, during yeah. the summer. <laughs> and I have to actually, I found out in years prior that I have to 
commit to a certain helmet size because when <laughs> I buzz my hair, because when I get haircuts, I don't do a trim. I just buzz it. Um, yeah, I, I don't know if that's for any other reason, particularly uh, the first time that, that I did that, I donated my hair um, back when I was 13, oh, nice. I think. And I, I plan on doing that again at some point when I do get a haircut. For sure. Um, yeah. But if I buzz my hair, I go down a helmet size because the diameter of my head <laughs> goes down a centimeter because of all the hair that I'm packing on my dome. <laughs> That's amazing. I, uh, I've yeah. never had that experience, honestly. I tried to grow my hair when I was younger uh, and it was fun, but uh, obviously I don't have any left. So it's like a phantom limb sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you this. It's funny because I wear my hair up a lot, but... Um, yeah. I remember so clearly, like even just buzzing my hair and getting rid of kind of the, what is essentially like a sound buffer on the top of my ears. <laughs> yeah, off. Yeah. There's just so much wind in this world that I was not aware <laughs> of. When you, when you have hair, it's just crazy. And it's, I mean, it's great, for example, in the winter, yeah. if I let my hair down and I put a hat over it, it is, it's pretty much just sound canceling earmuffs <laughs> to the you know behest of my partner who is consistently yelling at me because i just can't hear anything because not only is my hair in my ears but they're just like clogged with earwax or something like that i mean it's just yeah but um i mean i i don't know I, as i said before every time i think about cutting my hair you all or some person at the grocery store just says, Hey, nice hair. And I'm like, no, not <laughs> for those of us who can't, man, we've just given you another. Yeah. <laughs> Every time I get a comment, it just buys me another three months of growing it out. <laughs> nice. Nice. That's awesome. Um, so, uh, I wanted to touch on as well. So earlier this year, um, at the Joe Martin stage race, uh, you had an in incredible performance to win that stage three uphill time trial. Um, Thank you. obviously, you know, very meaningful to you. You're overcome with emotion, which was yeah. super inspiring. And that's like, that's why I watch and I'm a big fan of the sport, man. So that's, that's really cool. Um, mm. And like, there's that awesome video on, on Instagram. Um, but uh, take us through that. Like, what did, what did that mean to you? Um, well, at first, it, it didn't mean anything because I didn't know. Um, <laughs> so I, I finished, it was funny, I finished the, the race actually having approached it with no expectations whatsoever. Uh, as I had the year prior, I just thought, okay, you know, this year I'll actually just like give it a proper rip and see how it goes. And I crossed the line, uh, thinking, you know what, I probably could have even given a little more. And I was frustrated with myself cause I was thinking, okay, you know what, I'm proud of how I rode, but I can already, I was already writing myself off because there's just the field is, it was full of a bunch of really, you know, good hitters who are really consistent time trialists. I am not. <laughs> and so <laughs> I, I crossed the line, immediately turned around and made my way back uh, down the hill, um, which funny enough, because it is just pissing rain the entire time, took me as long to get down as it did to go up because oh, of the man. switchbacks. <laughs> and it was so slick that I was just taking my sweet time getting down. I get back to the team car 
I change completely dry off and I'm just sitting around just kind of shooting the breeze with the team. And then Brendan Rim of wildlife generation comes over to me and he gives me like one of these like clasped hands. And he's like, Hey man, good job. And I was like, for what? (laughs) And he said, I think you won. And I mean, his face was that of concern because I think I looked almost frightened because <laughs> the news was was so kind of jarring to me. And I, I yeah. thought he was, I thought he was joking. And I was like, Brendan, if you're kidding, this is the meanest thing you've ever done. <laughs> but um, I started. It was. I, I'm sure I made everyone uncomfortable because I basically just started standing up and pacing and like hyperventilating <laughs> because. I, I didn't really know how to handle it. Again, I don't win a lot, so I don't really know how, what, like, what the emotions are. Yeah. I don't know what to do with my hands. So, <laughs> um, so I was just kind of like hands on hips, pacing back and forth. And then one of my teammates, Tyler, finally like walks up. And he's like, hey, why don't we go check? Like, <laughs> we, we walk over um, to the timing area and uh, eventually... I, I, I waved down an official, you know, or at least someone who I thought it was official. They were wearing a jacket and carrying a clipboard, which if anything is, are the signals of an official. And I said, Hey, do you, do you know who won? And yeah. he said, no, I don't. And then <laughs> <laughs> I said, Oh, and then another, uh, rider from another team was just walking by and they said, Sam, you won. Oh man. I was like, what? He said, yeah, you won. It's official. And that's when the, the video basically is just that that clip of me walking to the official asking that and him saying no. And then the other rider walking by and saying, yeah. you won. And then I, you know, lost it, freaked out. And I mean, I, I think the emotions say everything. And as I say in the video, pretty point blank, I just don't I don't win a lot. And yeah, it means a lot. And I mean. I'm pretty proud of it because I worked the least to get the win as far as time on the road on the bike goes (laughs) in that race. Cause you have all these other suckers who are out there trying to win races. It takes them three or four hours, man. I only do the 10 minute ones. (laughs) Um, No, but it's, it it was truly overwhelming to me because it, it was a moment in which I'd felt like, as I'm sure you hear in all these athlete interviews post-race that you just feel vindicated for the amount of work that you try and put in. And again, it's kind of silly that, you know, you put in so much work and it, it just takes like 10 minutes to see the the rewards, you know, uh, come to fruition. I don't even know how people who run the hundred meters at an Olympic level process that where it's like a four year journey to run 10 seconds. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it, it again, truly, it just was overwhelming, and it, it just felt like the culmination of you know a lot of hours on the bike that had just come together. And I actually appreciated more the fact that I don't know, I just I, I was able to cross the line uh, without knowing that it happened because I still felt like I had gone back to my team, and something that I've recognized as I reflected on it was I still felt like I was enjoying being a bike racer, not having yeah. known that I had actually done what every bike racer tries to do, which is win a race. Yeah. And I was able to just go back to the tent and enjoy the company of my friends. Mm-hmm. And it just felt like, I think that's what was so overwhelming is I still felt happy. But then on top of that, something like good actually happened 
in the bike racing setting and yeah, yeah. you know i just fell apart yeah <laughs> <laughs> no yeah no that's awesome when when all those things line up and like you said the culmination of of all your hard hours training and all the sacrifice mm-hmm. and and all of that and even i i loved how in your post you, you thanked everybody and you said you know this is your win um I think yeah. that's, and I, that's, I, I truly, I truly believe that just because, you know, I'm sure again, the, there are a bunch of platitudes you can invoke here about, you know, it takes a village and all that. And they're all true because the, the, the journey that I've had in cycling is one predicated on support of others. As I've said multiple times, you know, my parents, my partner, my friends, my family, our team sponsors, my team themselves. I mean, at one point there's just, you just can't do it by yourself. If you do, I mean, more power to you, but it's not easy. And the the reality of it is as much as all those aforementioned people and partners, companies are financial or, uh, you know, product related resources that allow me to do what I do. They're also emotional crutches because at the end of the day, like it's, it's emotionally draining sometimes to try to like pour yourself into a sport, beat your head against a wall and maybe you don't come up with the results that you want, but you still keep doing it, whether that's psychotic or not. I don't really know. <laughs> I imagine like there's a piece to that in every cyclist. Yeah. Um, but it, it is a testament to the support of everyone around me that, you know, I was able to get there because I, I, I need all of that help. I, I genuinely think like I need that emotional support. I need that the, the emotional resources that, those people and friends and family afford me because I don't know what void I would be shouting all of my, my angst into otherwise yeah. I would, you know, burned a hole into my pillow and the shower. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, no, so true. So true. <laughs> and especially in a sport like cycling where, you know, that winning percentage tends to be pretty low. It uh, <laughs> it's pretty special when you do win, right? I mean, you have you have people who spend entire you know fifteen year long stints in the world tour, and they they never win a race, and they somehow yeah. manage to keep doing it. And again, it just it goes to show. I would hope you know there's an inherent love for the sport that yeah. you know yeah. something. And if anything, maybe there it's just a demonstration that hope still can exist in like <laughs> trying times as we live, like. There's always that belief, like maybe I'll just win a race and yeah. those stories, maybe they're rare, but they're also like, they do happen. Yes. Yeah. 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 The breakaway, the breakaway so does win sometimes. And you know what? <laughs> That's why they keep trying to do it. If they didn't, racing would be so boring. Exactly. Exactly. So the, the yeah. Three, three hours of everyone yeah. together and then 10 seconds of joy at the end. We've got to have one. Thomas DeGents and the Taco Vanderhorns of the world right now yeah. are, what, are what keep the collective, I'll say right here, they're what keep hope in the world alive. <laughs> Otherwise, it would not exist. Yeah, I wouldn't be waking up at 4 a.m. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Guys. Tour de France would start at like 10 o'clock in the, after, in the morning for yeah. me otherwise. Um, and, you know, interesting on the, like, um, I think I saw on that effort, um, on that win. So you had said you weren't paying too much attention to the numbers, even in mostly going by feel, right? Is that, mm-hmm. is that true? Yeah. Which, it, which is actually super rare for me. Um, mm-hmm. I'm usually when it comes to time trialing and power in general, I'm very, you know, precise and, uh, 
I guess there's no longer like type A about what I want my numbers to be. But yeah. I think, again, when you go into a race without expectations, for example, without having to ride for a GC, I didn't, I wasn't thinking about what other people were trying to ride so that I could stay within a certain place finish on GC going into the next day is very in the moment. And I've, again, when you go into a race with the conditions that it, that it was such that it was pissing rain, it was kind of slippery it, you know, it, it was windy. I wasn't really looking at the time or the power because I knew that the, when it's not perfect conditions, it's just hard to be able to gauge like how you feel exactly based on the numbers. Yeah. And I've tried to teach myself often, you know, as often as I can in training, you know, just to go by how you feel. And if you feel good, then you feel good. And if you don't feel good, like don't let the numbers tell you otherwise. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was the benefit of a short course is you have, uh, riders going off in fairly close increments. And so you can kind of just use the game of trying to like chase the rider in front of you. And yeah, I just, I didn't, I didn't want to look down at my power meter because I wanted to at least see, given that it was a shorter effort, like what it would feel like if I didn't have the numbers telling me like I was on the limit. Because I know that there, there was an interesting quote actually from Alex Dowsett um, that he did with Matt Stevens uh, on Matt Stevens uh, podcast. And he was talking about how he actually thinks power meters made some people slower to some degree. Like he made that claim, which is, I thought super interesting, especially coming from someone whose career has been uh, touting himself as a world-class time trialist and having the results to back it, you know, as a former hour record holder, Giro d'Italia time trial stage winner. And he actually thinks the fact that people can look down and see that they are either surpassing or on their threshold limit has limited people from having those days where they're just on one and they, they don't, they don't limit themselves based on the wattage they see. They just go for it. And maybe they blow up a little bit later in the, in the, stage because they went out really hard but those few chances like we're talking about where they don't i mean they can have some ripping times so it's not like the power meters to some degree kind of slowed it down but then you know you have the technology catching up so you know who's to say but the point being is yeah the i wanted to try and just do it on feel almost as a bit of an experiment because i knew in the two stages leading up to that stage i had felt good I was reacting to the race well. I felt like I was able to instigate um, moves in the race and influence the race. And I wanted to just see, okay, clearly the sensations are good. Yeah, I'm just not going to look at power and let it tell me how I feel. So then let's see what happens. Yeah. No, and obviously it worked out well. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I think that's definitive after Pogchar also won his about <laughs> after the famous bikes with oh no power meter. <laughs> definitive if you want a TD. If you want to win it, then no power meter. <laughs> yeah. But it's true, like, um, it, just like you're saying that Dow sets it, like, it, it can be somewhat limiting if, you know, if that's in your head that I shouldn't go over this number, right? And mm-hmm. who knows what you were physically capable of that day if you don't push that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, you know, I was going to ask too, like even maybe some advice for, you know, some younger riders, um, like 
it's such a tricky balance because that is somewhat intuitive, right? Mm-hmm. But I I would say like it, it can be somewhat of a learned skill as well, right? So like yeah, how I would, you walk I would, that fine line, you know? I would definitely say for younger riders who are just beginning to enter into the discipline of time trialing, do not uh, often go by feel because <laughs> it is usually very misleading. Um, everyone feels amazing in yeah. the first two minutes of a time trial. Um, <laughs> Again, my, I say I was very uh, lax about my approach to this time trial because, or at least with regards to looking at power versus not looking at power, because I knew that it would be less than 10 minutes. Like right, if I went right. all out, it would be less than 10 minutes. And there's a lot you can get away with in less than 10 minutes. But time trials these days, they're longer than 10 minutes typically. Mm -hmm. And if you go over that 10 minute mark, things get way harder if you have just boxed (laughs) yourself in the first two minutes. So I think a lot of, a lot of time trialing is, um, just threshold work and repetition work where you come to understand the sensations you feel looking at your wattage. So, you know, what 300 watts feels like, what 250 watts feels like, what 500 watts feels like, you know what the sensations are of your body and you can then gauge it how you feel based on those sensations. So if you're on a really good day and you're doing numbers that you've done in training uh, and they feel easy, then by all means, you should, you should start going harder because clearly you're feeling good and your body is responding positively. On the other end of the spectrum, if you're looking down at numbers that you have done in training uh, consistently and you feel terrible, then you need to start listening to your body because if you don't slow down, you're going to have a really bad second half of the, the TT. Yeah. It's going to be pretty hard. Um, I, I truly, I think you see a lot of time trialists and riders in upper echelon speaking of not just like not looking at the power. Again, I think that is exactly like you said, Josh, like a learned skill of how to gauge you know, perceived effort. And those riders who are doing that, I, I think there is a, you know, you talk of, for example, I think Taylor Finney spoke of not looking at his power when he did the 2016 Olympic time trial, Chloe Diger, she didn't look at her power, um, when she won worlds. Uh, and I think they are, so in tune with their bodies because they trained as time trial specialists that they understand like if they are going all out and putting themselves on the limit, like they are doing world-class power versus I think as you are learning what your, your power profiles are and what your, your threshold is and stuff like that, you are also learning about who you are as a rider. So getting, getting intimate with those numbers, I actually think is extremely useful for, for young riders. So I actually, if you are interested in time trialing as a young rider, I would recommend like focusing on numbers because it'll help you understand pacing strategies. Yeah. Yeah. It's you can like, also, you know, learn by baptism by fire and just go out and <laughs> you know, blow all of your bullets in one hit and then just figure, figure it out from there. I mean, trial, trial by fire, right? Yeah, absolutely. No, that's so funny. You mentioned Taylor Finney as well. I was just thinking literally that he, like he said, don't be a slave to the numbers, just be a slave yeah. to speed. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, no, it's so like it, it definitely shifts over time, like you're saying, uh, yeah. and can be particularly helpful in the beginning. But then don't get stuck in focusing too much on it as you like develop maybe more of that intuition. Yeah, uh, exactly. I mean, yeah. like you just said, fast is fast. 
And yeah. the, at the end of the day, in, in Dowsett's interview, again, he makes the point of saying he would speak with teammates after time trial stage and they would pick his brain about what, what he did. And he would, he, he talks about this one conversation he had with Mark Solaire when Mark Solaire asked him like, okay, what wattage did you do? Yeah. And Dowsett told him, and then Mark Slayer was like, oh, huh, I did more wattage than you. And I finished <laughs> two and a half minutes behind you. How is that possible? And then Alex Dowsett then begins dissecting Solaire's, you know, race. Okay. Did you pedal on this section? No. Okay. Did you pedal on this section? Yeah. All right. How are you taking the corners? This, that, and the other. And he was describing just non-power based ways of racing that gained him speed. So you know, speak going against what I just said, there is a lot to be gained from numbers, but there's also a lot to be gained. Like you just said, of just learning racecraft. Yeah. Time trialing is not really where you learn racecraft necessarily. It's where you learn ways to be the most, uh, effective, uh, linesman, I guess you'd say by choosing your path through the road, but it doesn't really, not much of that will apply when there's 150 other <laughs> people around you. Yeah, so when you can't always take that same line for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but no, there's Please, definitely the advice I would give young riders is if there is someone in front of you or behind you or in a place that you want to be, physics tells you that two objects can't be in the same place at the same time. So please don't try and put your body where someone else's is. <laughs> That's probably the, the best advice you could give anybody getting into riding, I think, um, and yeah. to race for sure. Um, but it's, it's, a uh, it's tough. It's a steep learning curve, uh, for people getting into it. So, I mean, it's great that, you know, we have, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the expertise of yourself and to be able to pick your brain on, it's great. Um, in it, like looking at that future of cycling, particularly in, in Canada in America, um, uh, like, you know, Legion is, is a very crit heavy team, right. And kind of like mm -hmm. we alluded to earlier, um, you know, we talked about those big, uh, you know, North American sporting events, maybe cycling isn't mm. exactly what's ingrained here and what we're used to. Um, mm. But uh, in order to be sustainable um, and move things forward, like, I don't know, how, how do you think things play out? How, what do you think is the best path forward for cycling here? And um, like the crits have well, been successful is, for sure, but. Uh, as far as, you know, sustainability goes, I think, um, it starts with uh, trying to broaden the fan base of cycling to a younger generation. Um, I think there is there is a generation that is you know ripe for interest in cycling. I think cycling there's so much opportunity to grow it as a sport in North America, um, and I think a lot of that has to do as far as um, you know interactions with young kids go is just trying to encourage them to be outside and go out and ride bikes um, and aligning cycling with mainstream culture. Again, it is, and, and, you know, I say mainstream culture and I mean in this context, like North American culture, it, cycling itself right now in the general narrative of the sport is still heavily aligned with Europe because that is the epicenter of the sport. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think it is the onus is on, you know, local governing bodies, um, you know, North American governing bodies to try and create an identity of, uh, cycling that doesn't necessarily cater to the European model, um, which in some cases can be very cool in America. For example, I raced the Baltimore cycling classic, 
um, recently, uh, earlier in September. And that was a wonderfully cool race. The course was awesome. I think the fans that came out to support it were great. Um, but it becomes harder when you try and do like a European style, long form stage race, for example, where it's just American sports, uh, interest doesn't really exist past like the three hour mark maybe. And that's kind of just the general gist of it. It, It's very hard to convince an American rider to go watch the entirety of Milan San Remo. Uh, (laughs) I don't think you could do that. Um, which leads into the structure of racing. I think crit racing, which is an, uh, inherently native or, or native to North American style of racing and maybe Australian, uh, Mike, you can speak to the UK a little bit too. They have the tour series. I think that is um, one of the most successful ways to try and broaden uh, North American interest in cycling. And part of the sustainability is making sure that, you know, it occurs in places where you can get like good fan activation. Um, I know that for right now, I think what makes uh, crit racing successful, for example, one of the things that me and my teammates talk about is trying to do it in like not small towns necessarily, but like, mid-sized American cities. Because if you take a crit race right now in the current narrative of sports culture in North America, and let's say you're trying to do it in a big city, in one of the major cities in North America, I think it's going to be harder to try and like attract large amounts of people to that space versus if you do it in races where we see like at Boise, um, Twilight Athens, Twilight um uh, Littleton, Twilight, these are all smaller cities, but the fan base in those areas is great. And when you you have a large event like that coming to a sm- smaller city, it's a big deal, relatively speaking, to the size of the city. Um, so I think as far as sustainability goes, it starts with trying to create you know a coherent race calendar that that caters to those kinds of styles of racing, but also just making sure that as, as professional athletes, we are interacting with the younger generation of cyclists um, in a way that is meaningful and impactful to them. And it's not just about getting them to go be racers. We want them to go be bike riders. You know, I think the experience of cycling starts with riding a bike, not racing a bike. I don't think anyone ever like just gets on a bike and goes and races. <laughs> yeah. 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 Like yeah. I applaud people who do. That sounds terrifying. But, <laughs> um, yeah. I think, you know, bike riding is what makes the sport of cycling really cool. It's how I got into the sport. I think it's how darn near everybody gets into the sport is just going out and riding around with your friends. Yeah. And yeah, it's exactly like what we started talking about in the beginning, right? Like it's, it's that experience and that connection to the world and that freedom um, mm-hmm. yeah, and, and learning about the world. Yeah. 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 Really cool. Um, and you know, in keeping with that mission of, of getting more people into the sport and being more inclusive, um, you know, I, I thought it was really awesome. Um, yourself and some, some teammates even wore the, the transgender flag, um, wristband, uh, at races, most notably for, you know, the national road race, uh, or, you know, just like at the tour or something, you were, in the break all day, but you were kind of like that shone an even brighter light on that, which was, you know, so cool and so awesome to see. So, um, Thank you. yeah, if you're kudos to you for that, cause that's huge. And, um, I, we're just curious as well, like what, uh, what inspired you to pull that on before hitting the start line? Um, well, 
I know that I have uh, transgender friends who are in sport, and I know that I know I have friends who are directly affected by um, trends in legislations uh, that have been limiting or outright banning uh, transgender uh, participation in sports. And it just, it, I know that having an outlet like sports in a community um, and a demographic such as transgender teens or transgender youth who are, I think, one of the most susceptible to death by suicide than any other um, demographic, that is, that is healthcare. You know, having that ability to participate in the sport and have that outlet, that is, that I truly think that that is life-saving for a lot of kids. And I try and encourage people who are looking at this from the perspective of, you know, people coming in to try and dominate the sport. I don't believe in that narrative. I, I try and encourage them that, you know, before anything else, these athletes are people and, you know, their being an athlete is just a way in which they, they are happy and they are trying to be who they know themselves to be. And part of, part of that identity is being an athlete and to deny them that part of their identity is to deny them part of, you know, their, their quest for happiness. And I, I believe that everyone has the right to participate in sports and restricting people's ability, I think is, is dangerous. And I think it, it prevents people from having the, the emotional and social networks that sports can provide that can allow them to feel safe and comfortable. Absolutely. I think that comes full circle around to what you were saying about the TT as well. And the fact that you enjoyed it yeah. without knowing yeah. you'd won. And I think that's like the enjoyment of cycling is what you're taking away from mm-hmm. people. Um, and like the mental health, um, I mean, I know that I have relieved stress by get, going on a bike and, and hanging out with all these people who I, I only know through mm-hmm. cycling, um, has been a huge help for me and taking that away from yeah. anyone, um, is just wrong. And yeah, I don't, whether medically or not, we don't want to get into the argument, but I think people aren't there to try and dominate the sport. They're there to exactly. themselves. Um, like you said, people don't get on a bike to race. They get on a bike cause they want to ride a bike at, yeah. at the start. Exactly. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I agree. yeah. Um, um, it, it's such it's such a crazy ar- argument like mentally to be like get a sex change to win a race yeah. um, like nobody would do that just such a huge leap I, 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 yeah i agree um <laughs> if anyone really quickly uh just to plug so the the uh armbands are um the brainchild of a close friend of mine molly cameron um who She's a wonderful advocate for uh, the LGBTQIA community. Um, she has those for sale on her website, ridegroup.org, oh, where awesome. there are also um, uh, opportunities to get in touch, learn about uh, uh, her mission, and um, try and find resources uh, about you know trans participation in sports, LGBTQ+, community participation in sports. Um, but if you want to support her, you can go to ridegroup.org. And they have a store. Um, so they have a variety of different products, uh, including but not limited to the uh, armbands. And I believe they also have some uh, T-shirts. So That's if you want to check those out, yeah, support, love that. Uh, support a great person doing some some good advocacy work. That's wicked. You know, Thank there. you so much. We'll definitely link that. Very cool. Yeah. And I really like, uh, sorry, I'm on the website <laughs> now. I really like that. And this speaks to yeah. what we're doing. Um, but the, it's as the ride wristband is a conversation. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's, that's exactly yeah. what we're here to do. And talking about with bike rides is starting a conversation. It's a great mm-hmm. way to 
not break the ice, but to start talking about these difficult. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. And so needed uh, everywhere to have these conversations. So thank you mm-hmm. so much for sharing that. We'll definitely, yeah. definitely be linking that and, and pick some up. Very cool. Um, and, you know, thank you as well for, for, you know, yourself doing that good advocacy work, um, you know, on and off the bike, even, um, you know, some, some athletes and people, uh, you know, they don't think it's their place or anything like that. And, you know, I always think about, um, like a quote from, from one of my favorite musicians, uh, the bassist from U2, Adam Clayton, but, um, Mm. he says, uh, you know, some people say you shouldn't mix uh, music and politics or sport and politics or whatever. Um, but I think that's kind of bullshit really. (laughs) I mean, you know, speaking from experience, like sports are politics. They're, they're one in the same in a lot of cases. And it's, I think to ignore that is to ignore the nature of sports and, you know, how sports exist in the first place, which is in and of itself, you know, to a degree political. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. No. So, that's that's amazing. I I loved seeing that uh, in the break at uh, the U.S. National Championships. That was, that was amazing. So <laughs> thank you for that. Very cool. Very cool. Um, and and for people that don't know as well, um, so you, you're uh, a teacher, um, and like mm-hmm. you were saying um, before we jumped on, you're, you're doing your master's right now in education, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so you kind of were telling us, but go over uh, like. You know how how do you have time to train and do school and teach and and all of that stuff? Yeah. <laughs> um, well, luckily the schedule um, has been fairly flexible um, through the program that I'm I'm doing. So I have been uh, trying to finish up my master's program for about two years now, and it started when um, I I began. I guess you could say uh, what I hope to be a career in education at some point once. Uh, the bike racing, the dirt bag bike racer life is, is over for me. Um, but, uh, I just wanted an easy, flexible way to make money, um, (laughs) while I was training, um, in the off season. So I looked into different ways I could do so. And funny enough, the most flexible way was, uh, becoming registered as a substitute teacher in California, um, in the local districts where I was living. And basically when you do that, you can pick and choose the jobs that you receive. So they have on the forum uh, platform that I was using back in California, they have a list of jobs basically on a daily basis that you can accept, you know, okay, it's Monday. I see there's a job on Wednesday. I see there's a job on Friday. I know those are days where my training isn't as volume intensive. So I could probably squeeze in a ride either before or after I go to school and I could get, make some extra money and get some work experience doing that. So it started as a way to just make money, but then I truly enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. Um, so I decided to go full on enter the program that I'm finishing up now. And, you know, it was, it's been a process, uh, over the two years of just trying to complete work on the road. Um, but then again, timing the in-class uh, portions of the program where I need to physically be in a classroom and teaching kids with the off season. So luckily cycling the off season is pretty consistent and the time frame, you know, racing doesn't typically happen between October and February. So it worked out fairly well for me this time around mm-hmm. where right now I'm, I'm doing the final portion, which is just a full semester of basically full-time teaching with a host teacher so that started uh, a month ago for me, and I finished up in December. 
Um, yeah, but it's, it's been challenging, um, trying to balance it with, uh, racing, but it has been by no means like impossible. And truly it's just been a matter of, uh, taking time to be diligent about getting the work done and being communicative with my program coordinators, my supervisors and all that, and making sure that the timing is everyone's on the same page, which yeah. is again, just a, a le- it's, it's a lesson in communication, if nothing else. For sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I can imagine it's as difficult to juggle all, but for, for sure, a great point. And mm-hmm. also, you know, a great insight for, you know, uh, youth looking to get into it and trying to balance so much. Um, yeah. definitely good to have that knowledge. Um, I mean, I think I, I know friends who have full-time jobs that are lawyers and are doctors and, you know, they are, you know, first responders and they still manage to have very successful, you know, cycling lives and careers. And they manage to do all that too with, yeah. you know, immovable f- schedules and they make it work. <laughs> and so, yeah. I, I mean, I just encourage people to recognize like, you don't need to pour your your heart and soul into the sport if you don't necessarily want to. You can if you do, but if you want to have some kind of safety net or fail safe, it is available to you and you can still see success. I think for sure. Nobody for should sure. feel like they need to drop, stop, and set up shop as a cyclist, like in it up and like and that's it. Yeah. There's still ways to make it work. Absolutely. And it can change at any point given, you know, the challenges yeah. of and demands of life, right? You, you mm-hmm. know, even if, if you do really, really love it and you want to do it as much as you can, but you can't for some reason, like, you know, um, there are ways like even getting on the bike for a few minutes is, is better than nothing. Right. So, um, mm-hmm. there, there's definitely ways to put it all together and it's not impossible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, really cool, uh, piece that I was thinking about earlier is, you know, there must be so much intertwined in terms of, um, you know, your vision and, uh, you know, your values, um, like, yeah, the, everything between that and how it comes together with Legion and teaching must be a a pretty unique, uh, position for you to be in given that. Um, no, totally. I mean, it's what motivated me to try and reach out to Justin Corey in the first place, um, back in, uh, July of, 2020 where I, I was just, I was curious about the program and its growth. And I knew that I, I wanted to do something in an environment that was trying to create something new and different and more engaging in cycling. Um, this again, as someone who's a fan of the sport, you always inherently care about the sport. Um, and I cared about it in, that I wanted to see it grow in America. And I knew that that was one of the key, uh, features of Justin and Corey's mission. Um, because you know, whether, even if your goal is to make it to Europe, that's, I think is a totally legitimate goal, but in order to do that, it's, it's just so much easier for these young up and coming riders who, you know, have big aspirations of international, uh, aspirations to get into the sport, to have a platform that is not only going to prepare them for uh, racing over in what is still the epicenter of the sport, but is also going to be recognized as a viable, legitimate platform, which as of right now, it's just the U.S. Uh, scene is not. And it's it's sad that that's the case, but 
you know, with time, the, the goal would be to try and create a legitimate platform in the U.S. where you can have a flourishing cycling career um, that could either propel you over to Europe, if that's what you want to do, or that could allow you to uh, see success that is, that is um, I, I, I hate using the word legitimate because it, it, it's, it implies that the you know, success that you see riders have in the U.S. isn't already legitimate, but it is you know, to see a mainstream level of intensity and following in North America, as you would find, for example, in a European equivalent would be the goal here. Um, and I genuinely believe that Justin and Corey, they want to see that flourish in the U S and I wanted to try and bring what I felt like I was good at, which was interacting with, uh, young kids in meaningful, impactful and effective ways to get them excited about, you know, riding bikes, you know, just like how in a classroom you have to find ways to get kids excited about learning, you know? Right. And I, I mean, I think for any kid, I would imagine riding a bike seems like a little more fun than reading a book. <laughs> reading a book is, is yeah. awesome. I loved it. I majored in English, but yeah. I also really, really love riding my bike. So you yeah. got to find ways to like use skills transferable from one skill set to the other. And that was my, my goal. And I wanted to bring that to the table in a program that I felt like was going to be able to, to point me in the right direction and, and utilize yeah. those skills. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, no, I think, you know, you've, you've clearly found a really good home there and, and things line up really well, which is great to see. Love to see great people doing great things like that. Um, in keeping with that, too. So uh, I just got to ask one final thing about uh, this uh, Dear 39th Street just dropped yesterday, I think it was, yeah. right? Um, uh, I think it either it dropped today, um, I believe. Oh, today. OK, well. I, yeah, I think it dropped on Red Bull TV today. I haven't oh, watched okay. it yet. Okay. Deliberately saving it. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. Put on. No, I was just going to ask uh, if you could give us any any inside scoop or any takes on it and uh, if it's worth the watch. I, I can't give any spoilers because <laughs> no, I haven't, haven't had the chance to watch it yet because I've been sure. at school all day. Um, but, I mean, I'm as excited to watch as, as you know, y'all are. And, I mean, yeah. I, I'm I'm looking forward to it, and I know that the people who are behind creating the content, I mean, they put out amazing stuff. Like nice beyond just the what I think is going to be a very compelling story. Yeah. It's it's going to be art, you know. Yeah. So it'll be very cool to watch. Amazing, amazing! Can't wait to check that out. Awesome. Well, we just have a few rapid fire questions for you to finish it off. If that's cool, hit me. Yeah. The most fun podcast. <laughs> all right this one this is the most important one out of all of them uh hard or soft tacos soft <laughs> nice hard nice. tacos absolutely not especially if they're the kind with like the square bottom yeah that, yeah. That's, yeah no the kind they'll rip, they'll rip yeah, the, exactly. the, taco, the whole point is you got to grip it you bite one side half of it comes out the other side yeah. and then you take it and you bite the other side and then that half comes out the other side and then you use the two pieces that you're left with to kind of scoop up yeah. what fell out i'm that's the you, point you read my mind i'm with you 100 percent. yeah uh favorite favorite place to ride Favorite place to ride. Um, I absolutely love going to the Sun Road um, in Glacier National Park. Um, I try and ride it during the summer at least once a week. And there's no other way to describe it other than the kind of grandiose nature 
that makes you think about your place in the universe in Damn. time and space. <laughs> like so you're looking as you're riding up this beautiful, you know, road along a mountainside at cliffs that were carved by glaciers tens of millions of years ago. Wow. And it's just so vast and big. And so anyone who makes their way out to Glacier National Park, definitely check it out. Amazing. Amazing. I think I'll have to do that. Yeah. That's, that's going to go yeah. on my bucket list now. Um, <laughs> what item uh, besides a bike could you not live without? Uh, hmm. I think I would say... I think I would have to say some kind of music playing device. I'm not going to say like a phone because I don't, I don't actually, I don't like having a phone. The frustrating thing is I know I'm addicted to it. I know I'm addicted to Instagram. I do that. I have a, I have a imprint of fade the shape of my phone in my pocket because it lives next to me. Um, but I just, I, I love listening to music. I'm not like a music aficionado, but I just, I don't like silence at all. So, I mean, if it was just a device that could play like podcasts or music, that'd be great. Cause otherwise I'm, I'm singing or talking to myself cause I just, <laughs> I don't like being, being in quiet spaces. Oh, nice. Um, beard or mustache? Uh, oof. I mean, if I could grow a beard, like a real one, <laughs> what you see right now for the listeners, it's very patchy. It's like, it's like the, the, the farmland that is getting like tilled for the, the, the season prep. Like there are bits here and bits there. Corn is on one side, like wheat's on the other. There's no consistency. It's just all over the place. So if I could grow a beard, I think I would. Like yeah. I would, I would like the idea. It also fits the the mountain man aesthetic I'm trying to cultivate, <laughs> having moved from East Coast, big wig city of DC to small town Montana, and trying to fit in. <laughs> Very nice. If you go for the bid and the buzz cut, you could. <laughs> That's something to aspire to. I'll just take all of the hair on top and I'll just shift it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, a, a deeply personal question next. Your best twenty minute power. best twenty minute power. Um, I think and okay, so I have to take this with a grain of salt because I'm actually positive that that power meter was reading high. Um, <laughs> that's well, I know it's meter. like that's the great. It was the ba- this is the greatest power meter I ever had. Um, uh, Usually, and- people say it the other way around. <laughs> Um, it was, it was a threshold test and it's funny, like it is a deeply personal question. And part of me is like, Ooh, I shouldn't say that. But then the other (laughs) part of me like thinks about it every day because I've never seen numbers like it since. Um, but it was a threshold test I did on Palomar mountain, um, which is a big climb, uh, the biggest climb in, uh, San Diego County. Um, and it was just one of those days where it was like pre-nationals back in 2018. And I was like, all right, I'm going to go for a ripper. Like, let's, let's go see what I can do. And the, the 20 minute power was 454. Ooh. But again, I haven't done anywhere like 
near that since. And at, you look at all of my like power PVs, they all come in that year that I was using that power meter. And so I'm pretty sure it was reading high, but my ego boost wouldn't let me like s- convince myself otherwise. So since then, I've just I've never lived up to my 2018 self. <laughs> oh, man. That's funny. Yeah. I, I also had a power meter that was reading high in 2018. Oh, they're the best. Yeah. They're the best. <laughs> I don't have it anymore. I'm really disappointed. <laughs> it's like like the old, I can't remember which pro athlete, but there's some pro athlete, you know, when you go out to buy a scale or something and you'd always choose the one that read the lowest. The <laughs> yeah. You got to do your product testing and pick the one that reads the highest. Exactly. Yeah. Um, favorite subject in school? Uh, I loved uh, English. Um, I majored in it and... Um, it was funny. I hated reading as a kid. It's, oh yeah. Yeah. I did not like reading at all. My parents had to try and force me to read books. Um, but then eventually I just ended up loving reading. And I think part of that was because, you know, I had to find something to do on the bike, you know, when I had long rides and when a podcast just wasn't doing it for me anymore, or, you know, I didn't want to listen to music. I just listened to audiobooks, just tons uh-huh. of audiobooks, just burned through it. And that was actually one of the ways that, I was able to actually like get through school and finish work was on the rides. I would just download the audiobook for the book that we were reading in class yeah. and I would listen to it on the ride. Oh, man. So for all these yeah. English majors out there who are trying <laughs> to hack it as a cyclist and a student, there you go. Yeah, no, that's genius. That's exactly where my mind went. I was like, I should have done that when I was in school. <laughs> Would have I mean, you have like, with apps like, Libby, for example, I don't know if you've ever heard of this uh, app, but Libby, oh. L-I-B-B-Y, is um, one in uh, America, at least. I don't know if it pertains to Canada, but you can have um, a state-issued uh, library card or a district-issued library card, and you can link that library card number to your account on Libby, and you can have as many library cards from as many places as you want, and it uh, links your account to the online uh, collection of that library system. So, for example, I still have a library card from back when I lived in Washington, D.C. I have that linked to my account, and it gives me access to the entirety of the online electronic collection of the D.C. public school or D.C. public library system. Wow, so that's amazing. It's, a, it's an amazing resource. It's completely free, wow. totally free. So yeah. anyone who's interested in that, uh, you know, check it out. L-I-B-B-Y, Libby. Yeah. I'm great sure, app. sure they have stuff like that in Canada too, but that'd be worth yeah. checking out at your local library. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And something you have in common with Phil Guyman, another. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I have absolutely no other context to this, but skin suit bibs and chest. <laughs> I think, I think in this day and age, like I got to go with skin suit. I mean, if we're talking racing, I'm never not wearing a skin suit when we're, yeah. when we're racing. I mean, I just think mm-hmm. that it's, it just makes more sense. The one thing that is a little annoying with a skin suit, I will say, is that when I eat a gel or I you know, crush a piece of food and I have the wrapper, typically on a ride with a jersey and bibs, I'll slip it underneath the jersey yeah. from like the cuff where it's at my waist. I can't do that. So I have to stick it in like the back of my oh, collar man. and it, yeah, it like kind of collects there. <laughs> and it's just really annoying to try and do that because I'm like, 
I'm not very flexible in this direction with my arm because <laughs> I have a broken collarbone or I had a broken collarbone on my uh, right side that kind of limits the mobility of my shoulder oh, and I'm right-handed. So <laughs> it's just like, it's, it's super difficult. It's yeah, I can't, I don't like doing that, but I think skin suit. Yeah. I just, you look at the data these days and it's just really hard to dispute just how much faster a skin suit is. And if yeah. like you're looking for free speed, that's where it's at. Or it's not free. It's very expensive, but like <laughs> that's, that's where the speed comes from. Um, but if I'm training, never. I'm never wearing a skin suit. I don't. Yeah. I mean, you're weird if you wear a skin suit while you're training. <laughs> I will. I will just point blank tell people that that's odd. That's really strange behavior. Yeah. <laughs> I've had guys show up in a skin oh, yeah, suit yeah, yeah, group ride, and and that's when I know oh, I'm in for God. a hard ride. <laughs> <laughs> They've come out with different expectations Man, than I age. I'm listening to all these other cyclists on all these other podcasts talk about how back in the day before they had like resistance wheels or something, they would just put water in their tires and slow oh themselves down to get out. <laughs> Meanwhile, people are coming to group rides on in like long sleeve skin suits. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, last one for you. Um, you you don't like silence, so best song <laughs> yeah. on your playlist right now or or best songs? Oh, I mean, the songs that I will always listen to that I'll always enjoy, um, anything by Frank Ocean, really, um, I have been awaiting his new album for the better part of six years now, as have, I think, <laughs> half the population of Earth. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I have a playlist on my Spotify that's literally just called Songs I Found That I've Liked, um, oh, nice. <laughs> which is like, it's a podcast that goes back. I think the first song was added in like 2016 or something like that. So it's literally like six years of my musical tastes basically <laughs> mapped out from start to finish from then to now. So it's actually, it's kind of cool going back on my account and seeing when I added a song, cause I can kind of pinpoint where I was in life and why I liked that song. <laughs> um, but really like my favorite songs these days are, if I go to that playlist, it's just the, the most recently added ones. So if I, I'll give a name here, I'll give a, I'll give a name. I'll look up one right now. Perfect. So the most recently added song to that was, uh, a song called satellite city by Kimok. K I M O C K. See, I don't even know like the artists that I'm adding. I just like, I have a discover weekly playlist that I listen to. And if I listen, hear something that I like, I add that. Nice. That was the song that I liked recently. Satellite city by Kimok K I M O C K. So if anyone wants yeah. to listen to that, that's the mood that I have been in. Check it out. Check it out. Yeah. Great. Awesome. Well, no, thank you so much again for, for taking the time. We, we really appreciate it. Um, unbelievable to be, to be able to chat with you so thank you we appreciate yeah. it thank you guys i really appreciate uh having me on yeah awesome yeah thank you awesome all right <laughs>